Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Dave. Craig. Tori. Hi, guys. Hello, Internet. And no Craig this week. Oh, my, my mistake. Uh, so we start every week with good thing. So, Dave, what's your good thing? Uh, my good thing this week is a YouTube channel called Drawfee. D-R-A-W-Fee, or Drawfee channel. It's got a little coffee mug with a smiley face, and it's cute. And it's got a pen in it. I like drawing coffee. Uh, they just do a lot of different stuff. Uh, you have uh, professional artists on there. Three of them are regulars, and they usually have like a rotating fourth person. Uh, they have, they're all professionals, but they all have their own different unique styles, and they all have their own knowledge base as far as pop culture goes. And then they have to, a, a lot of the episodes are just draw this cartoon character or draw this Pokemon from memory. And I don't know how recently because a uh, YouTube algorithm assumed I stopped liking them at some point. Um, I don't know how recently they started doing this, but now they do like 30 second challenges where they have to draw something from memory, sometimes in MS Paint, uh, the whatever cartoon character or Pokemon or video game character or whatever else. And there's just they have a really good chemistry and they're really fun, really funny to watch. And they actually just play tested a new Jackbox game as well. A video came out this week. Uh, it's called Champ em Up or something. I forget. Um, but it's supposed to be coming out with Jackbox 7, and they got to play test it. And there's a little preview video on their channel, youtube.oob slash drawfee. Just type in drawfee. youtube.oob slash drawfee <laughs> type in drawfee. Got it. <laughs> Dot com. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is also a YouTube channel. Uh, it is J. Kenji Lopez Alt, uh, who is a chef. Uh, he is currently doing like cooking stuff at home. He has a like a like a headset camera that he does, so you can sort of see what he sees as he's as he's preparing food. Um, it is just like pure cooking. It's not in in any other way entertaining. Like like binging with Babish is you know he tries to recreate stuff from from like TV shows and movies. Uh, Kenji. So it's like really a child kind of just Ken, Kenji does there, none of this. Cooking. It's yeah, it's it's pure cooking, but it's like pretty high production values especially considering he's doing it from home currently and like the food looks amazing. Uh his recipes are like Babish uses a lot of his reps, recipes when he doesn't come up with his own. So, but yeah, it's it's just like it's it's pure cooking and it's great. It's super informative. And I'm really, really enjoying it. J. Kenji Lopez Alt. All right, Tori, what's your good thing this week? As I posted in the Discord, I found on Disney Plus that they have added a making of series for The Mandalorian. And um, I don't, I don't know how long it's been out. Maybe I'm behind the times. Maybe it just came out. But um, 
it's really interesting. For example, did you know that all of their sets, the background scenery is on a TV screen? Like they've got giant LED screens. Like it's uh, it's just a room where every wall and the ceiling is a screen. They call it the volume. So instead of let's go and film this on the back lot, they're like, let's go and film this in the volume. Um, so all of their scenery is digital. Like when you're watching the show, you absolutely cannot tell. It's just really interesting to see how the show was made and all of the stuff that they came up with to um, to get these effects done on what was apparently not an amazing budget. So yeah, really interesting Um I've enjoyed it so far. It's only about eight episodes. I think I'm on number six. Uh, I believe this came out shortly after The Mandalorian ended, like after after the last episode aired, because I definitely heard about it some time ago. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not over here just browsing Disney Plus looking for shows. I only watch things when people tell me to. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, all right, Dave, uh, you read a few chapters this week, I believe. My thing this week is I read... Um... Ninja Cowboy Batman, chapters 14 through 16, by Brandon Sander, DC. Comics. Comics. Wait, I tripled the comics. Teenage Mutant Ninja Batman. <laughs> I think I already made fun of the fact that DC Comics is technically Detective Comics Comics. I think I did that in a previous episode. I want to say they like officially changed their name decades and decades ago. So the DC just means DC these days. Yeah. And that's the end of uh, Play the Outro, Traveling Wilburys, or Traveling Made-Up Continents by McGillicuddy. Or we maybe we should talk about the episode first. Right, that should happen. (laughs) If you want to go short for non-spoiler time, Brandon is trying to kill me, is is, is, I think the... The, the core point I'd like you to make here. You specifically. Specifically, yeah, because, me, I mean, yes. recording the episode and editing the episode is like so much more work than actually coming up with the idea and writing it. <laughs> you got this, Mike. All right. So we got chapter 14 of Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanders. Renette wants them to run out. Nice gun. How does it work? Renette is a Wallace and Gromit. Marassi is Jelly. What alimantic metal allows one to push bitter thoughts? Renette stole Vin's chainmail idea. Renette stole my vindication joke, too. Wazing the lofty tongue. Anti-bloodmaker gun, eh? Maybe they can invent an electromagnet to stop Miles. Wayne carries dynamite in his pocket. Why am I not surprised? He's a looney tune, after all. All right, so this scene begins with Wax Wayne and Marasi showing up at Renette's house. Um, I thought that Renette was going to be like an ex-girlfriend of Wayne, but she's just she's just some some lady that Wayne had a crush on and doesn't really like putting up with his shenanigans, which is partly why he has a crush on her. Uh, she has shot him several times, um, once in the foot, which doesn't count. <laughs> and so they go in there and they're like, "We brought you an aluminum gun," and whether or not they intend to give her the gun or just let her look at it because it's a curiosity that she lets them in. She tells them that old Joe made the gun. I forget some name I never heard of and will probably forget and never see again until I see it again. And then I'll be sad. I forgot it. Uh, she's got all, she, Renette is a, uh, is a lurcher. She 
does iron pulling. That's her alimantic power. Uh, whether or not she has a favorite chemical power, I don't think we've seen in this chapter. But she got that. She got the iron pulling. So she has mechanisms all through her house catered to that. Uh, a little a little extravagant, Marasi thinks, but uh, pretty clever. Like, she has latches that she can open a door from either side by using iron pulling, you know, in case her hands are full with groceries or ammunition or what have you. And Marasi's a little jealous because Marasi's been taught by her father that her alimantic power is useless, which side note, um, I did think of another use this week and it came from this week's chapters. And then, uh, yeah, Renette. Oh yeah. So that was the Wallace and Gromit thing. Like she's got all the contraptions around her house. Uh, so she has, Renette has invented all different kinds of ammunition rounds. So haze killing rounds, as they call them, as per the old term for uh, assassins hired to kill Mistborn. Petition so to got... rename them Zane Killer rounds. Not I because they, the motion. not because they would work on Zane necessarily. Just I like the idea of killing Zane. Yeah, um, I, I did mention in the Discord this week or last week. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in the lack of Zane bashing so far. Like he's so he's so historically loathable. That I thought that there'd be some like we poor Marsh man. We get all this like we get all this trash talk about old Iron Eyes and all that, and like I, I understand, but you know Marsh Marsh did what he had to do, you know, and I feel kind of bad for him. Zane, on the other hand, Zane deserves the the old historicity snuff up the nose or whatever. Not no, I don't snuff up the nose. That's I'm not advocating that. Whatever that would possibly mean, I don't. I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, Renette's got these haze killer rounds, and similar to when um, Vin cut the arrowheads off and put the put them through the chainmail rings, so that she could steel push the chainmail, and and when a steel inquisitor would try to push back, only only the shell would come off, and the the actual hurdy projectile would continue to move forward. So. Uh, Renette has these bullets that are made of ceramic, but are encased in metal. So, you know, if you f- start firing aluminum rounds at a steel pusher, he's going to think, oh, crap, aluminum, I better duck and hide. But if you start firing metallic rounds that he can see with the blue alimantic lines, you're like, ah, I got this. And stand out in front and start trying to steel push bullets. But oops, ceramic to the forehead. Uh, there's also other ones that... I didn't really. I forget. Uh, there are the, other specific ones. The anti pewter is just a really, really, really big. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and the anti tin ones are designed to produce exorbitant amounts of sounds. So it's a little bit flash Yeah. And she says she's working on anti blood maker rounds or an anti blood maker gun. Which is interesting. How would one go about doing such a thing? I bet she started on that one first because of Wayne. <laughs> I'd have to work that out. Uh, all right, so we're introduced to yet another new character in this section of Renette. And Dave, do you have a casting for her? Mm, Raffi from Star Trek Picard. All right. Uh, I have Anne Dudek, who uh, was Amber Vilakis on House... Uh, basically, she's she's female house, the, okay. the character of Renette and 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 Amber Vilakis. So, yeah, and Dudek. So in Star Trek Picard, 
Picard actually shows up at this woman's house, and she's a former officer of his. He actually shows up at Rafi's house, and she pulls a shotgun on him. Basically, like the same situation. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Tori, did you have a Renette originally? I thought maybe you did. Yes, but I, I can't did. Remember. Yeah, uh, I like Kristen Bell for it. Okay. All right, and yeah, remember, I'm pretty sure that I made some vindication joke during one of the three books of Mistborn. I had to have. I had to have. And Marassi stole it, but I, I told that joke 300 years ago. Or rather, Raff, R- Renette. Come on, Renette. I, I told that joke already. Okay, but if you're making a gun and there's a historical figure named Vin, what else are you going to name that cool fancy gun? Um, Vera? <laughs> Betsy? Zane. Old Red? Zane Killer. Um, but no, it it is a super cool fancy gun, and it has cool fancy tricks that it can do, like a safety that can only be turned off by an iron puller or a steel pusher. Oh yeah, I guess you'd have to turn the gun around if you're the wrong metal, but it would work either way. Uh, so Wayne is working out uh, what Vanisher's next move is going to be. I mean, they're going to attack the the un the unbreakable minecart or whatever. Minecart, what I don't cart train 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 car. So he sends Wayne out to uh, do something with dynamite, and of course Wayne just has dynamite in his pocket because he's Bugs Bunny. Like where else would he keep his dynamite? And they took a bunch of explosives from the from the bandit hideout when they didn't explode. It's just hilarious to me that Wayne keeps it in his pocket. (laughs) And he also sends Marasi out to go buy a Chekhov's net. Go buy a net, and then we don't know what they're going to use the net for, at least not in this week's chapters. So, I mean, there are several things that come up that don't get a payoff yet. And we have two weeks of recording left, two yeah. weeks of chapters. Yeah, um, that Sander Tsunami better come soon then. Well, technically San- three because we've Sander got the tsunami. overview, I think. I, I meant as far as new chapters, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that about does it for chapter 14. Oh, also, I was just kind of trying to think, like, what what kind of gun could they make that uh, that would counter a Bloodmaker, especially one as powerful as Miles' million lives? And I thought, why not just get a big electromagnet? They just discovered electricity or whatever, and maybe they can figure out electromagnets. But apparently, uh, my brother tells me that gold is not magnetic. So, rip that idea. Or is it? Can they magnetize it somehow? But he says, dump him in a vat of some chemical that melted some dude's Nobel Prize. I forget. Uh, <laughs> now we're really done chapter 14, unless you guys have anything else. I don't. Tori? Nor do I. All right. It's such a shame my brother won't get to listen to this yet. <laughs> All right. Chapter 15. Miles feels bad for shooting at his old friend, the set. A... Colleagues, a suit is a slender old man. That must mean that Harms is a master of disguise. Augur, what is gold's alloy? It's apparently marginally more useful than gold. Does it act the same way that Malatium did? Miles gets his old cop costume out of storage. Uh, so 15 is split into a Miles viewpoint and a different viewpoint uh so for the we'll stop at the miles part of the chapter here and you know he doesn't feel bad for shooting at wax but he feels bad at doing it 
in a dishonorable way. And as Mr. Suit says, I thought that the roughs were the place where honor goes to die. And Miles turns to him, glitter in his eye, and he says, no, the roughs are the place where you hang honor out in the high storm. And if it survives, you you give it a place of prominence or whatever. I forget. Something about hang. I wanted to make some kind of. But that's the gist of it. You hang it out in the high storm, and if it survives, then it just becomes stronger. Uh, so there's also... You throw it away, and if it comes back, then the love was meant to be. Boomerang love. So there's also something called The Set, with a capital S, not to be confused with the Ashweather variety. This The Set is some kind of conglomerate or cartel or something. Uh, it's It's like actually not just Mr. Suit that's funding the Vanishers, but a group of dudes that hired the Vanishers, presumably to kidnap these women. And we got a, yeah, I either missed the physical description of Mr. Suit before, or maybe this is new. Maybe I just overlooked it, but apparently he's a slender old man. And perhaps I also missed a physical description of Lord Harms, but I do not think of Lord Harms as slender. I think of him as more of like a Teddy Roosevelt build. So maybe Mr. Suit is not Lord Harms. Uh, however, unless there's like a Conjure thing going on. Um, but however, Lord Harms could be a different member of this the set. So I'm not completely throwing out that theory. Uh, so we also get the term Augur. I don't know if we got the term Augur before. This is somebody who burns gold allomantically in much the same way that Vin did. Uh, Miles burns gold and he sees like two alternate versions of his, of himself. And, you know, there are a bunch of in-world theories on what exactly this means. Like, is one of them pasty and one of them really? Or are they alternate versions based on different paths and stuff? So it's it's like when Vin burned gold, basically. And uh, Miles does this in front of his crew. Not, not he doesn't really have to keep us keep up his image because, like, he shot himself in the head. Uh, the you know when and establish his image that way instead, so he doesn't really have to worry about it. Uh, so Mister Suit actually hires two babysitters. One of them is a steel pusher. One of them is an iron puller, uh, just to keep an eye on Miles because Mister Suit and the set don't trust Miles to handle wax, basically. And actually. Most of the set doesn't trust Miles, and they think Miles will turn on them, but Mr. Suit has been vouching for him, uh, and he's like, don't betray that, and Miles kind of like doesn't know. He doesn't know if he plans on betraying the set or not. He hasn't decided yet. It depends on what direction they go after the uh, current order of establishment topples, I suppose. Uh, he mentions also Gold's alloy, which... In the time of the final empire, gold's alloy was malatium. It was an alloy of gold and atium, but I assume that atium doesn't exist anymore. So if there's a known gold alloy, it's it must be something else. Wait, it's electrum. Yeah, it's electrum. <laughs> okay, you already knew this. <laughs> I forgot. I did already know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um. So there's no atium. So wait, malatium. That's right. They thought that ATM and gold were alloys of each other, even though they were both pure metals. And then Vin was the one that figured out that th that um, Melatium was actually the the 11th metal was actually the 10th metal or whatever. That's right. So we don't I don't know. have any feeling on ATM and Melatium, but gold and Electrum are. Yeah. 
Wow, I'm dumb. What did Electrum do again, other than counter ATM, which doesn't exist anymore? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, that's it. It may do another thing, but it sort of depends on how it works, and we haven't gotten a good description of it. But at this point, Miles says that Electrum is marginally more useful than gold. Well, and what, it's not does, the, what does burning gold do? It allows you to see alternate versions of yourself. So I guess Electrum would allow you to see alternate versions of another person. Wait, then how does Malate? How is Malatium the... Malatium was the one that let you see alternate versions of another person. I thought I understood Electrum before. Electrum gave you false ATM shadows. But counteracted... It, it prevented other people from using ATM to see your for real shadows. Right. I don't know. This kind of like the gold Electrum ATM LATM kind of balance seems a little weird to me, even when we first learned about it. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's it is <laughs> whatever Electrum does, it's it's deemed slightly more useful than gold. Elementically, obviously, gold has great applications in Farukame. And here we go. And so Miles decides to stop being masked bandit, and he's going to come out as uh, basically fallen paladin blackguard Miles. And that's the first half of chapter 15. Moving on. Uh, oh, so I forget. This might be this is either from Morassi's or Wax's perspective. I forget, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Docs and our constables, do we tell them? Wax has a psychological profile. I'm going to need to read that thing. Where have I heard that before? So this is mainly a conversation between Morassi and Wax. It gets a little flirty, but Wax does not indulge, and Morassi's a little embarrassed. Um, and they, you know, they talk, and they plan. And apparently there's a psychological profile out on Wax, and that uh, something that Wax thinks he needs to read. But it's probably not as important for him to read as a Chandra contract. And they decide, you know, that they're not going to tell the constables about the Vanisher's plans immediately. Wax has a letter written to the constables should he fail his next mission. Because uh, he figures if he fails his next mission, he will surely die. So he wants to share the knowledge with the constables. And he gets Morassi to uh, promise to help in some way and not alert the constables just yet and that's the end of chapter 15 i think i think i got the important stuff that was the i've read this at 3 a.m last night chapter i'd say you did pretty well for 3 a.m what about 4 a.m even better huh oh you did really bad for 4 a.m doesn't make any sense if it was good for 3 a.m then it must be magnificent for 4 a.m now 4 a.m is when you really wake up because that's when you should probably be going to sleep yeah, stupid brain wanting to stay up when it's time to go to bed. End up playing Hanabi till 2 a.m. with my friends, and then I want to play Hanabi with strangers afterward. I'm sorry, Hanab. There's no such thing as Hanabi. Well, I mean, I believe just Hanabi that is out. the trademarked not, one. That doesn't make any sense. Just delete it. It's 4 a.m. now. And maybe. Anyone ready for Chapter 16? Oh, yes. I sure am. All right, chapter 16. Not not very many notes, pretty short chapter. Uh, it's a Wayne perspective, so I like that a lot. Uh, before we jump in, I did read the broadsheet, and it was pretty fun. One point about the broadsheet, it pretty much confirms my theory that there is a ferrochemical charisma mind. Uh, so the author's terrorism buddy 
is a Farukamist that, from my reading, apparently can store the good attitudes of people toward him. <laughs> so I, I made this, you know, back when I laid out all of my Farukami and Alamancy, you know, chart guesses, that there was some kind of charisma mind where, like, Sezed would be filling his charisma mind and you walk charisma mind and you walk by and you're just like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I just hate Sezed today. I think that's what's going on here. There's some charisma mind. Uh, that one's getting a rafo. So yeah, that just confirms my theory. All right, chapter sixteen, Abrigain. The break knot has a timer that only allows the door to be opened every twelve hours which sounds like a job for a slider or a pulser, depending on what time you want the door to open or not open. Wax and Wayne sneak in as guards. The Vanishers are so vanishy, they vanished before they even got here. I think this one begs a little explanation. So this is a Wayne perspective, and he starts off dressed as an old lady named Abergane. And first off, let me just say, I love how much Wayne gets into character and how it just comes off the pages from Wayne's brain like we don't hear about how Wayne has devised this old lady who has grandsons and all that we just get like there is an old lady that has these grandsons and it's Wayne but I don't know you know what I'm saying if you read it you can appreciate how in-depth Wayne is in in his characters uh, and I'm pretty sure that Bugs Bunny indulges in dressing like an old lady from time to time. So he goes and he asks well, one of the guards of the break knot. That's the house Techiel's impenetrable train car, I think is the word we came up for it this episode. Yep. Original <laughs> to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Copywritten. Sorry. Uh, the train car is called the break knot, the impregnable and it sounds like a name of a Viking or something. Break dot the impregnable. Um, that's going to be the name of my next D and D character. Break dot. Right. So Wayne, I'm sorry, old lady Abergain is asking the guard about all these details, and then the guard's like, "Wait a second, you're asking a lot of questions," and then Abergain's like. Mm. I think I'm missing tea time. And she runs off and uh, the guard's like, stop that lady. And Wayne stops around a corner, puts on a speed bubble and gets another Bugs Bunny costume out as an old nobleman. Uh, acts like he is the guardsman's, you know, superior from House Techio. And he's like, go get more guards to guard that train. And then runs back around the corner. <laughs> And changes costumes into a guard. And he has a backstory for this insignificant guard as well. And it's so great. And uh, so he gets himself and Wax, who is dressed similarly, on he posted on watching the break knot. And then you have Marasi shooting from the rooftops. And apparently, I think Marasi has real bullets, but they also hired some newsies to fire blanks up into the air and at any i guess there's like maybe a blood pack probably like a little blood pack in wax's shoulder so that uh wayne whatever his guard persona is he's like oh he's wounded get him into the car and then lock it up if we lock it up then the vanishers won't try to break in anymore and so marasi and the newsies stop shooting 
and then uh you know the wayne's like well we won they stopped shooting at us and then the guard captain's like uh hey nobleman we won they stopped shooting at us uh so yeah they vanished before they even got there pretty vanishy if you ask me and that's uh, all there is to chapter 16 i believe and thus this week's chapters so wax is inside the train car Wax is inside the train car with probably a fake bleeding shoulder. Fake bleeding shoulder. Uh, his, he had a bunch of stuff stuffed under his shirt to make him look fat, which will probably be supplies for whatever the plan is. Probably going to be a Chekhov's net in there. All right, so what do you think Wayne's plan is, or not Wayne's, Wax's plan is, in detail, take me through it. How does the net play in? What else is involved? Um... He Wax pretends that he also defected from the law and ties himself up in a net. And then Miles shows up and he's like, what's up? What's with the net? And Wax says, oh, I decided to turn to the side of robbery just like you, Miles. And they caught me in this net um, to, to try to lure Miles in. And then uh, at the last second, he's going to uh, get... Um, he's going to chop, chop Miles's arm off. So like, even if he, if he chops Miles's arm off, that's got his like bracers with the gold mines. And even if he uses the other gold mines to grow the arm back, he's lost all of, and it probably takes a lot of stored blood making to, to grow, regrow an arm. Um, probably, but that's like half of his gold mines that he loses. Uh, and then probably the other half goes into regrowing the arm. And then um, Miles will be vulnerable and Wayne's will bust out of the net. There's actually a secret trap door in the net that Wax can escape. And then he'll shoot Miles and Gigi. Brilliant plan. Let's see how it <laughs> plays out. All right. Um, I do want to mention this time lock on the break knot. And I think um, this is going to be where where uh, Chekhov's pulser comes into play. Uh, they're going to think that 12 hours have passed and be able to open the door. However, if Marasi slows down time on the, on the time lock, then it won't be ready to open for relative, you know, to the outside world, 16, 20 hours. Right. Um, so it's going to trick people into thinking that the door was locked at a time that it really wasn't. And then they can use Wayne to speed it back up and even it back out as well. So, like, the fact that there's this time mechanism allows for them to play around it in clever ways because they have both a slider and a Marasi. I no, just it... said the word. I just <laughs> said it. What the heck? Pulser? Pulser, that's the one. Uh, so, earlier you said you thought of a new use for Marasi's power. Is that is and that there what you it meant? Okay. Yep. Opening the time lock safe at the convenience store. Well, she can't have it open faster, but she can delay the ability to open it to trick people. So, like, say they open the door at noon, they'll think, we can open the door at midnight. And then Marasi, like, slows it down for three hours. So when they can't open the door till 3 a.m., they'll think, wait a second, it must have been locked at 3 p.m. We were wrong about it being opened at noon or something like that. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else for Dave this week. Tori, do you? How awesome are Wayne's personas? <laughs> I love awesome. it. I love it. I love it. I would just want. I want the novella. Apparently, well, I don't know. Is the novella set in 
in this place or is it like just completely unrelated and we're doing publish order? What's the next novella that was like, what's the next non these yeah. three book thing that we're reading? Is it related to these three books or not? Not really. Okay. Cause if it were, I would want it to be all about Wayne. I, I, I did. Think- I, there is one other thing about Wayne though. Um, I think that there's a chance that he might, um, he might turn evil. I think like, I think that evil Wayne would actually be a fantastic character. I don't know that he's going to go that way, but if if Wayne does turn evil and join up with Miles or pick up after Miles or do what, not pick up after him, he's not a dog. Uh, but if he does kind of go to the side of, what's the opposite of law? Chaos? Is this Dungeons and Dragons? Have we talked about Dungeons and Dragons yet? If Wayne does start to go against the law, I think that he's going to be a fantastic villain. Like, I love him as a hero, but I think he would be a fantastic villain. All right. To answer your earlier question, uh, the next thing we're doing is the 11th medal, which is set back in Era 1. Okay. Uh, After that is the Emperor's Soul, which is set on Cell, which was... uh, Oh, neat. That That first book we did. Elantris. I'm sorry, Elantris. Yeah, it's, it's set on the same world. Uh, then after that, we get Shadows for Silence in the Forests of Hell, uh, which is set on a brand new world that we haven't seen yet. Hmm. And then we go back to Stormlight for Words of Radiance, which is my favorite Stormlight book so far. Oh, we're going back to Stormlight before Shadows of Self? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, after Words of Radiance, we've got a couple more, um, short stories and novellas. And then we're back to Shadows of Self and then Bands of Mourning, which are the other two Mistborn Era 2 books. By the way, guys, if you're listening at home and you forget all that, you can join our Discord server and see a projected schedule for all of these books, i.e. the diagram that Tori has so graciously made for us. It The diagram isn't pinned, but the, the schedule of what books in what order we're doing is pinned in the general discussion channel. I thought there was a Google sheet for the diagram which had projected dates, like ranges for each date. Uh, is there a Google Doc, or is that just a notebook you have, Tori? Uh, so I've done it in a Google spreadsheet, but there's a lot of other like little notes and information in a notebook that don't really convert well to a Google spreadsheet. Anyway, join our Discord. Uh, Patreon.com slash Cosmere cast and you'll find the link there you do not have to become a patron to join our discord but if you do we appreciate it thanks guys uh all right so let's let's de-dave ourselves bye-bye right. dave. bye everybody dave's gone play the thing this concludes the spoiler free section of our podcast if you are as i am reading along for the first time we recommend that you stop listening now as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book but for other cosmere books as well There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right. Uh, What do we want to talk about regarding these chapters? How great are Wayne's personas? (laughs) Super great. Uh, Did you see what I posted of the Bugs Bunny things? No, let me scroll up. In general discussion. I spend most of our recording in the spoilers section because that's where all of the live listeners are chatting at us. Yep. I posted many gifs of Bugs Bunny in various costumes, and he's Wayne. It's totally Wayne. It's it's true. Um, yes, <laughs> Wayne's Wayne getting into character is wonderful. 
the amount of prep he would have to do to pull all this off is pretty great. Like, he would have to think about getting some hard candies, some old lady hard candies, to to pull off the old lady persona. And then he's got, you know, like, reversible clothing and six layers of costumes on. So I hope it's not a really hot day, because that would just be unpleasant. Uh, he's just showing up at, like, the Ellendale Community Theater and hanging out with all of the actors and learning all of their tips. That's that's what he does when he's not being a, a, a cop. Um, so uh, do we want to walk through what we remember of Wayne's plan or Wax's plan? Why why do I keep conflating them? Anyway, Wax's plan, what I remember um, of it. Okay. Uh, I don't remember where the dynamite comes in. I do know that he thought to catch Miles in a net, and that doesn't work because Miles keeps his own explosion, explosive in his cigar case. Or it does work because if you catch him in a net and he blows himself up, then that uses some of his healing stored health, like... Maybe Wax planned that on purpose. I don't recall. Um, but we know that catching, you know, blowing himself up is how he gets out of a net. That's a that's a established um, mo. So Wax already knows that. I think. I remember him being surprised, but again, I haven't finished rereading. I've been staying with you know same with our with our chapters here, and I forget lots of stuff between reads. Literally, the only thing I remember is that they use Marisy's power to um, slow down time for um, Miles, giving the cops time to show up and arrest him. Yeah, that happened. That's that one isn't like part of Wax's plan, though. That's that's just something she comes up with in the moment. Are we sure? I thought so. I don't remember. It's going to be a journey of discovery for both of us. Indeed it will, but we've only got two sets of chapters left, so we'll get to it. Uh, would we like to pivot to preview chapters? Uh, the first draft of uh, the novella of the of the prologue of the novella. Uh, where, what do we want to What do we want to deal with next? Uh, let's cover the novella because that that was a that prologue was short. Okay, uh, I didn't do bullet points today. I was overwhelmed and couldn't make That's myself fine. do that but i've i've got it open i've read it a couple of times i've got the gist of what happened uh so yalb survived the the boat turning into water hooray that yalb would be the wind's pleasure that shallan was on when yasna got assassinated which hey let's talk about that for a second so assassins come aboard the ship in the night uh yasna gets stabbed and then goes to Shadesmar. She just abandons everybody and just just travels to Shadesmar. And then Shallan, who barely knows how to do anything with her powers, convinces the boat to become water. And like she did the best she could. I'm I am in no way blaming Shallan for this. I'm a hundred percent blaming Yasna. Yasna just just dipped. And what the heck, man? I mean, I I don't really know what her other options were. Um, she's a far enough along Night Radiant to be able to summon a, a Shardblade, so do that. Use your Stormlight. Like, okay, she Texas Blade is saying in, in our spoiler discussion, she wanted them to think she was dead. Great. You know what that, you, do you know what happens if they think she's dead? Everyone else on the boat also gets dead. Yeah. 
And then yeah, she like very point. she very publicly comes back a couple of months later. So this is not a good plan. This is not a plan that was executed well. This is a plan that got a bunch of people killed for no reason. Seems like. I think that's something we can pay more attention to when we read Words of Radiance and uh, and also Oathbringer. Uh, yeah, I'm actually on an, a Words of Radiance reread currently. So okay. I've, I've very recently gone over it. And yeah, Yasna sucks for this. For specifically this. Okay, the important thing... So Texas Blade, again, in, in our spoiler Discord channel, says she thought she had important things to do. The important things that she had to do were not let everyone else die, and she failed at that. Shallan succeeded, sort of, kind of, barely. I think, I'm pretty sure Yasna said later that she thought that they only wanted her and that they would leave everyone else alone. I mean, that's definitely what you do to witnesses who see you murder uh, one of the most powerful people who who exists in the world, you know, is is you leave witnesses alive. That's that's for sure the the correct thing to do. Well, the only witness, though, was Shallan. And what? everyone else on the ship. Only because they rounded them up to kill them afterwards. They They didn't, like board the ship screaming and guns blazing and i know there's no guns on roshar but um you, you get my drift they like snuck aboard right am i remembering this wrong um by the time they stabbed yasna they had already like rounded up all the sailors onto the deck so nah it was they were killing people after they had th they had you know thought they killed yasna they gathered everybody up beforehand yasna did bad things. Well, so Trampy Knight points out, I could see Yasna deciding that her surviving this event would be the most important thing for Roshar. So she took steps to ensure uh, that would happen. And so your argument that, okay, she's capable of summoning a Shardblade, she should just kill the assassins and rescue everybody on the ship. She doesn't want everyone to know that she's capable of summoning a Shardblade. She doesn't know how many people how many assassins uh, are on the deck with the crew. So even if she kills off the ones in her room, she has no way of knowing that she's going to be successful in killing all the others. And even if she is, then now she's got this whole crew full of people who know what she is, and they're going to have to die anyway. Oh, she could also soul cast them. That is, that is a way that she's already shown that she's capable of murdering people. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm willing to bet that a combination of threats and, bri and bribery would... Uh convince the the ship's crew to not talk about her anyway let's let's anyway. get back to the let's get back to the prologue yalb so is yalb. alive hooray yalb two other people also survived boo yasna uh he's working on a new ship where um the like the first mate kind of looks up to him for advice it's weird um but yeah he is teaching an alethi how to be comfortable on a ship and climbing the rigging and he spots a ship out on the horizon they go to check it out it's empty the name of the ship is first dreams which was the same ship from the um interlude in oathbringer where we were following a savant soulcaster person yeah the one that went to aemita and turned to smoke yep so what happened to that crew? Uh, they all died during the interlude. What a mystery. It 
It's a shame we don't know. I think it was like the the ship's cook killed everybody and then himself. So mysterious. Yep. So that's the that's the first draft of the prologue of the novella. Um, Which, if that's the first draft, I gotta be honest, that's that's really good for a first draft. Yep. Uh, Brandon is and continues to be an excellent writer. Well done. Uh, so presumably he's going to keep posting these as he gets them written, and then also like posting revisions as he gets them written. I don't think we're going to have to do much on the revisions going forward, because there likely won't be huge changes. But yeah, Brandon Sanderson is trying to kill me. Speaking of, we had some chapters to talk about this week. We also have that. And yeah, I also didn't write um, bullet points for this either. I started to, and then I got overwhelmed and didn't. Uh, so starting out, we have the um, epigraph, which is still Yasta, or not Yasta, Navani talking about um, Fabrial Mechanics. And how you, you, to trap the spren, you have to draw the stormlight out. To do that, you put bigger empty gems next to the smaller gem, sucks all the stormlight out, the vacuum sucks the spren in, and poof, you have a spren in a gem. And you use that to fabrial. And then she suggests that other methods besides this must exist, um as proven by the extremely large gemstone fabrials created by the Vristal Guild out of Thalina. Those Thalins and their consonants. And then she asks for uh, Queen Fen to give her state secrets. Um, but I think the state secrets are just that they have a... Good God, what is that thing called? The little, the, Kremlin... the little cricket bug, yeah. Yeah, the little Kremlin dude that sucks out Stormlight. They have one of those A Larkin. Again. Larkin. And they had a dead one, uh, courtesy of what's his face, Risen's Babsk. Vistim. Vistim, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, because it was during one of Risen's uh, interludes. We we know that he had previously traded for a dead Larkin, and now he can get a live one. Don't know how. Uh, don't know how those people got a live Larkin, but they have one, and they give it to. Risen. So presumably the dead ones can still do something, but I don't know how that would work. Alright, so into the chapter proper. Um, Shalon wakes up because she unconsciously burned Stormlight and... Shalon and company. Oh yeah, it's it's all Shalon. Everyone is Shalon. Every character in this entire series, we're going to find out later, was Shalon the whole time. What a twist. Um, but yeah, she wakes up before they expected her to because she subconsciously burned Stormlight to clear the poison out. Um, she's being carried to a Sons of Honor meeting, and they come off in this as way less impressive as a group than they had previously been. They are, they are frankly, a little bit pathetic. And this is explained by uh, Shalon as, like, Gavilar founded the group, and they had actual ties to power at that point. When Gavilar died, Amaram took over, and... He sort of squandered everything with his with his pettiness, and now it's run by Ile, and Shalon is all she's really trying to do is get a meeting with Ile so she can get like actual evidence of of treason, and they can and Dalinar can step in and actually do something without starting a war necessarily, but things go sideways so, a little bit. 
the thing I like, uh, so Shalon is still pretending to be unconscious. Um, and when she finally, you know, quote unquote, wakes up, uh, she she finds she's surrounded by these Sons of Honor people, and they're all wearing hooded robes with embroidery on them. And she's all like, okay, but where'd they get the robes? What did they even tell the seamstress? Uh, yeah, we need these for um, for parties. They're for parties. Yep, it's a good scene. Uh, later on, they make her swear uh, various, various oaths to them, uh, which they take as proof that she can't possibly be a radiant in disguise because she has sworn these oaths that she didn't mean. Right, because radiants can't lie. Mm-mm. Well, certain radiants can't. Like, Dalinar won't no, no, because no. that will risk All things. Radiant ever can't. They they would know. They're the Sons of Honor. Um, but yeah, uh, Lightweavers certainly can because they are based on the idea that people lie, especially to themselves. Um, I'm guessing that uh, else callers can lie because they're all about... Um, I've lost the word. I don't know. Can you describe it? What are you thinking? Nothing now. It's all gone. There, There's no brain. Brain gone. Okay, so we assume that else callers can lie. Um, but yeah, these Sons of Honor, they're like, yeah, she swore some oaths. She can't be Radiant because then she'd be lying. And we know for a fact that Radiants cannot lie because we're so smart. Uh, specifically, they're they're using false oaths uh, as, as their test here, which I think would work or I think is more effective. Like there are more orders of radiance that like can't swear a false oath. Like Windrunners for sure couldn't. Um, Dalinar for sure couldn't. I don't know about the other two um, subtypes of Bondsmith, but maybe yes, maybe no. And then I just don't feel like we've we've seen enough of the other orders to to give a definitive yes or no yet. So like, they have her swear some oaths. Yeah, they have her swear some oaths. Uh, which she does, lying like a liar, because she lies. Uh, and then she, as she suspected, Elay isn't part of the isn't part of this group. Uh, so she keeps arguing for a meeting with her, and they're like, "No, don't do that." If if we decide that it's a good idea, then later maybe. Uh, and then we end the chapter on a chasm hanger, where Shalon announces that she is not who they think she is. Right, because they're like, you can meet with ELA later. And Shalon is like, I don't want to keep pretending to be this uh, fussy merchant woman, so I want to hurry things along. So she's like, wait. Uh, so chapter five, we get another epigraph with more Fabriel stuff. Um, take Stormlight out, Spren gets sucked in. That's how Fabriel do. Yeah, uh, she specifically says it's kind of a uh, vacuum uh, a pressure differential is what causes the yep. spren to get sucked into the gym. Which, presumably, um, a radiant who can work with the uh, surge of pressure could achieve similar results, maybe? Maybe. I don't think I know enough about that. Which isn't pressure the one that uh, Windrunners and Bondsmith share? Mm, nope, that's adhesion. Oh, that's adhesion. Does that not work via pressure? I guess it doesn't. Anyway, uh, whoever does could use it to vacuum carpets. I was thinking about this week. 
I don't know why they would, but they could. Uh, so we, we, we're back on Kaladin, and we get a fighty chapter, because that's what Kaladin does. He does fighty stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of heavenly ones. Uh, we learn that they are um, fairly honorable. Like, they prefer not to gang up on people. They prefer not to be ganged up on. And Kaladin is more than happy to go along with that because um, his people can heal through Stormlight and their people can heal through Voidlight. And it doesn't matter if they die because they'll just come back with the next Everstorm. So it's kind of a zero-sum thing. Some game, they're just trying to waste each other's time for the most part and minimize casualties. Uh, so, yeah, they they all go off 1v1-ing each other. Uh, meanwhile, Dalinar opens up a for-reals perpendicularity and holds it open for the course of the battle, which is why Dalinar's along for the ride. Um, otherwise, he would be far too important to take out on missions, and he would be protected in Urethiru. But since he can do this and refresh everyone's stormlight, uh, he needs to hang out. Well, and another thing we've got that's pretty cool is uh, we have Kaladin taking a quick count of the enemy forces and deciding that we don't need all of the Windrunners to take them down. So he orders the less experienced, lower-ranked ones to guard the civilians that are boarding the ship, the fourth bridge, and uh, only only the uh, more advanced radiants, or uh, squires, rather, get to fight. Squires beneath rank CP4. And we don't get an explanation for what that means. But it's a right, thing. but a th- it is a thing. A year has passed, and there are enough of them now that we need these ranking systems, and um, I am interested to see how that works. Uh, we also find out that there is at least one squire who for sure would be a full Radiant and have sworn several oaths at this point, um, but they have run out of Spren. Yes, a, a later paragraph tells us that um, 300 Windrunners at this point, though only around 50 full knights. So, which I believe I know there's more than there's more than 50 honor sprint out there. Why are we not bonding them? Like, I why are they not coming? I believe this was mentioned in the Silfrana interlude. Also, the the lack of additional spren coming up, or coming to the physical realm to bond with new knights. Right. But did it say why? Don't believe so. Just that it was. So that is the mystery that remains to be solved. Uh, so Kaladin 1v1s the le- the apparent leader of the Heavenly Ones, uh, a fuse named Leshwi, who he has developed something of a relationship with. Um, and yeah, Leshwi kind of kicks his butt. Uh, Kaladin does not do well, probably because he isn't sleeping and is exhausted. And people keep coming by to check on him, because he keeps not flying as well as he should be, and letting Leshwi win. And Kaladin thinks that it's because Silfrena has been talking to people to get them to check on him, because he can't fathom that people just notice what he's doing and care enough to check on him. Our poor baby Kaladin. He needs to be protected. Yeah, up to and including his ex-girlfriend. And that was kind of a surprise, too. Like, I know they mentioned it uh, in a previous chapter, but it, it's it been a year since the events of Oathbringer, and lots happened, including Kaladin had a girlfriend, and then they broke up. 
Yep. Uh, so Kaladin works out that the Heavenly Ones aren't actually attacking for real. They just want to get intelligence on the airship. Uh, so that's that's sort of what they're doing. So he changes tactics to fight defensively, stay safe. They'll leave eventually. It's fine. And I'll, it's kind of a long thing, but... There's a lot of fighting. I'm just scrolling through it. There's, and then there's more fighting. Um, the fighting is not the important part. The fighting is almost never the important part of these. That is true. Uh, but then we cut back to Shallan and company, uh, where she now has to think of something to go along with her chasm hanger statement of, I'm not who you think I am. And what she comes up with is, I'm the person you think I am. I'm not wearing a disguise. Uh but I'm also selling state secrets of Fabrial design. Would you like to see one of my sample schematics? And, and then she I... uses clever light weaving tricks to make these schematics just appear in her notebook uh, and look like they were hidden. Like um, she makes it look like um, you could take a rubbing of something that had been written on the previous page, and that's how she hit it on a blank page in plain sight. Yep. Uh, and she uses this to continue trying to finagle a, uh, a meeting with ELA, uh, except everything takes too long and... Well, no, they're, they're like, sure, we'll take you to meet ELA, but you got to put this sack back on your head. And um, Adolin and company are watching from afar and apparently take this as a bad sign and decide that they need to uh, rescue her. And so they come charging in. And then we cut scene and go back to Kaladin. Where uh, the fighting is still happening. Still continued fighting. fighting. Uh, he 1v1s a different fused, not Leshwi. Uh, and he comes out on top in this exchange. Uh, but he decides not to kill the, the fused. He, he, his thinking is that it doesn't actually matter. Uh, it's going to take a while for this thing to, um, you know, heal from the shard blade cut. And so that fuse is out of the fighting regardless. If he kills it, it'll come back with the high storm. So where's where's the win? Um, so he just tells the, he just tells the fuse to leave. And that's pretty much. Oh, and he sees Roshone. No, the. Uh, uh, what am I after he tells that one to leave, then the. Um... The other fused, the uh, different order, shows up again. Oh yeah, the um, the teleporting fused shows up. Yeah, it it teleports right by and kind of buzzes him, um, but he um, he saw it in time, so it didn't attack. Like it was trying to catch him unawares. And then he sees Rashon um, talking to I think Dalinar and Devani, and he's still bitter because of course he is. Uh, and then he sees Leshwi again and heads out one more time. Uh, so in addition to preview chapters, uh, first draft of the prologue of the um, novella, I also found out this week that he's been posting annotations on Reddit. So I got to read those. And they're short. Uh, but the, the important part from that for this is that he's writing the beginning of this book like it's the end of of a book. So like normally he keeps his chapters very clean, like single viewpoint, whole chapter long, and you stick with that character for, for the whole chapter. And then at a chapter break, you switch to a different character 
you don't get to you don't get to bleed between characters uh, until the end of the book. That's during the avalanche. So what he wanted to do with this was give the sense that like in the in the year that we skipped, there was like a whole a whole Stormlight books worth of events that happened, and we're now getting into the ending of that at the start of this book. I like that. That's that's brilliant, actually. Yeah, it's working pretty well. Um, I think we also find out that Rock's daughter got her shard plate from Ayamiya. Yes. Which I thought she had Amaram's. I thought what happened there was that since Rock killed Amaram, he gave his daughter her shard plate. But apparently I made a bad assumption and something else happened. So now it's I'm confused. Amaram's shard bow. Um... Yeah, it says in the paragraph, uh, Cord, who carried Amaram's old shard bow, strapped to her back and wore the full set of shard plate she'd found in Aemia. Yeah, so I'm confused there. So what? yeah, what happened to Amaram's shard plate if that's not Amaram's shard plate? And his shard blade would have gone to somebody as well, so... Eh? Now, theoretically, couldn't the whole set have been given to Rock? Maybe he split all of it among his children, like... Different children got different things. That's possible, sure. Um, like, Rock wouldn't... Rock likely wouldn't keep any of it, because he's... Right, because he, he's, he doesn't fight. He doesn't fight, and also he's, you know, a Windrunner squire. If not a full Windrunner at this point, I don't know. We haven't gotten enough from Rock yet in the, in the preview chapters. Oh, now that is something um, when we were talking about the lack of honor sprint. Um, Kaladin mentions that there is one Spren that hasn't bonded anybody, but that's another story. Um, and we don't get that story in these chapters. Um, so what do you think? Is that Spren waiting for Rock to come around and decide he's going to be a Radiant? Like, maybe Rock doesn't want to bond one because he doesn't want to fight? Or is that Spren waiting around for somebody else? Uh, you know what? That is as good a theory as I've thought of, which... By which I mean I haven't actually thought about that part of things. So, yeah, let's go with that until we learn otherwise. So, that's about all I've got for these chapters. Just that um, Kaladin did some fighting, and then he did some more fighting, and uh, Shallan was uh, doing espionage. And pretty soon we're going to get some Adolin fighting, which will be fun. Oh, that will be fun. Maybe in the year off he's made some progress in uh, his connection to Maya. That would be super fun. Yep. Um, yeah. Who? What was the full list of characters uh, from the preview chapters that we were supposed to get in this section? Do you remember? No. What? Uh, give me one second to look this up. There we go. Prologue in chapter one. Chapter one gives the part one. These are the characters. We're, here we go. Kaladin, oh, yes. Shallan, Navani, Venli, Liren. Okay, so... No Adolin, no um, Renarin. So we might see them, but we won't actually get viewpoint chapters viewpoints from, them. from them. Okay, that was what I wanted to check. So, all right, uh, that I think is all I've got for this week. We made it! Yay! We didn't take two and a half hours to do this. It's because Craig isn't here. Yep. Craig is the one that always has one more thing to talk about. All right, but that so... just means we'll be prepared to record extra long next week when he is here and he has to tell us about not just these two chapters, but the next two chapters. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm just going to call it here and say bye, Internet. Okay. Good night, Internet.
This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thank you.